You're listening to the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Eric Newman. Thanks for joining us. The JX starts today with the debrief, where JPR reporters discuss the stories they've been covering this week, including a new community court program in Medford and a group that's using harm reduction to address drug addiction. I'm here with reporters Jane Vaughn, Roman Battaglia, Justin Higginbottom, and Kelby McIntosh. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hello. We're going to start off with today's debrief debrief with a new voice in the newsroom, Kelby McIntosh. Uh, Kelby is a reporter in Arcata who recently started contributing to JPR. How's it going, Kelby? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? Doing good. Um, so you're a fellow with the UC Berkeley Local News Fellowship. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that program and what brought you to the area? Yeah. Well, the California Local News Fellowship is a program meant to support and strengthen local news reporting in California, focusing on underserved communities, including myself. There's 40 of us in newsrooms across the state reporting full-time. For me, I chose this area because I take highlighting underrepresented communities seriously. I come from a small town in East Texas, and as a person of color, we often don't see these kinds of opportunities. I wanted to come to a place where I felt my work would make a big impact. Awesome. So uh, what kind of stories are you looking forward to covering from where you are in uh, Northern California? Because this place is a nature lover's paradise, I'm interested in reporting on the farmers' challenges in the cannabis and mushroom cultivation industries. And I'm also curious about how local elected officials will help unhouse population and improve mental health resources, too. I know these are big topics for sure, but I have plenty of time to report on this for JPR and more. Great. Thanks, Kelby. Well, we are definitely looking forward to hearing you on the air and your stories from Northern California. Thank you. Um, So we're going to shift now to Justin. Um, So Justin, you had a feature this week about a harm reduction group in Medford. Um, You visited them while they were working. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about harm reduction? Yeah, so um, so harm reduction basically tries to minimize the damage caused by drug use without any requirements for uh, quitting drugs or seeking treatment. It kind of meets people where they're at and tries to help them. Um, the group I went out with is called the Stabbing Wagon, and they give out things like clean syringes to uh, that's meant to prevent the spread of diseases like HIV and the overdose medication, uh, naloxone, that can snap people out of a fentanyl overdose. Um, Even pipes and foil, that's meant to encourage people to smoke rather than inject, that's thought to be safer. Uh, Here's Melissa Jones, the executive director of that group. We don't coerce anyone into anything, we just sort of offer the supplies. And what we found actually is when people have accessibility to make healthier choices, they 100% will. So harm reduction can be controversial. Um, this group in particular has been especially controver- contentious locally in the Rogue Valley. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so critics of harm reduction um, basically say it can encourage drug use or, or normalize it at least. And there should be more of a push to sort of get users into treatment and get sober. Um, I spoke with an expert on addiction for the story. And he said harm reduction can save people's lives um, and lessen harm for drug users. But if we want to reduce harm overall in the community, of course, um, non-drug users are also impacted by drugs, then harm reduction should be coupled with really strong incentives to get people sober. Um, And this is sort of a divide we see in Oregon. 
Some focus more on autonomy and the rights of drug users, while others support harm reduction sort of in this context of a goal to get more people sober. Um, Jones with the Stabin Wagon falls more into the former category, although she provides information on treatment. Um, she's been through it herself, and she's driven people to detox centers around the state when they've asked. Um, so Stabin Wagon as a group, though, is also controversial in Medford. They've been openly critical of police, um, and Stabin Wagon employees have actually been arrested before uh, for trespassing while helping the homeless and for interfering with police at a free uh, HIV testing event they were hosting. Um, the group recently even filed a notice to sue the city of Medford for harassment, among some other charges. I, I spoke about that last week. Um, the city's lobbyist actually fought against the group getting a grant from the Oregon Health Authority to open a short-term residential facility. Wow. Gotcha. Um, well, thank you so much for your thank you so much for your coverage of uh, Stab and Wagon. We're going to uh, follow that, I'm sure, coming going forward. Um, actually, one other thing I wanted to follow, follow up on. You said this group gets public funding. Can you just explain where that money comes from? Yeah, that comes from Measure 110. Um, Measure 110 was Oregon's law that decriminalized small amounts of hard drugs. Um, it also funneled marijuana tax revenue to services uh, for drug users, and that includes harm reduction groups like Stab and Wagon. Uh, they got close to $600,000 from that, um, which is important because uh, well, so that funding helps them afford supplies, um, especially those overdose medications that I mentioned. And that's really important because Oregon's opioid deaths more than tripled from 2019 to 2022. Um, last year, we're still counting the numbers, but it's, it's looking to be worse. Um, that increase in, in deaths is mostly due to fentanyl, which is very cheap and it's a very strong synthetic opioid. So to report this story, you went out with uh, Stab and Wagon when they were doing their harm reduction programming in Medford, I think. What, what did the drug users that you spoke with say about the services that they provide? Well, they were pretty grateful. Um, the drug users I spoke with, they're, they're basically just trying to stay alive right now. Um, they all know friends that have died from overdose. Um, one woman, Yolanda Garrett, saved a friend uh, before with that overdose medication that Stab and Wagon provides. Um, and she actually wants to get sober one day. She said she stopped using heroin at least, and that cuts her chances of overdosing. Um, and now she's just trying to stay alive so she can basically get clean eventually. I just want people out there that's in the same situation to know that there is hope and not to give up. You know, we're all survivors, and we've got to continue surviving. So there are changes to Measure 110 proposed in this current legislative session that's happening in Oregon right now. Um, what, what's happening there uh, and with groups like Stab and Wagon that could uh, affect how they get their funding? Yeah, so lawmakers have proposed recriminalizing hard drugs, so making possession a misdemeanor, and that would increase fines and add possible jail time. There's actually a hotline right now for people ticketed for drugs. They're supposed to call to talk treatment options and um, get out of a fine if they do that. But very few people have called, um, fewer than 600 actually in the last three years. So some hope that increasing the penalties for drug possession will push more into these treatment programs and get more people sober um, and also make open drug use less common. In some areas in Oregon, that's, that's a huge issue. Uh, but funding won't change uh, for groups like the Stabenwagen, cannabis taxes will still go to services, 
um, that provide services for drug users, including harm reduction groups. Um, so harm reduction services in Oregon likely won't be going anywhere soon. Great. Thanks, Justin. Um, we're going to turn to Jane now. Jane, you covered a uh, more recent contentious issue here in the Rogue Valley. Um, you did some reporting on a fire district here. It's Jackson County Fire District 5. Why, w- why were they in the news? So basically, the the union for the fire district says there's been years of inappropriate workplace conduct at the district. And this came out uh, on Tuesday. They had their board of directors meeting. The union president, his name is Brady Graham, and he presented to the board. And basically, he said there's been a lot of serious complaints that have been reported to the department. Uh, It's been happening for years. It's creating a toxic work environment. And he says the district has failed to address the behavior. He said bullying, harassment, and even sexual harassment are accepted as normal behavior there. And he says this sort of toxic work environment is leading to firefighters leaving the district because they just don't want to work there anymore. Um, I have a statement from the union that says there's been low morale and favoritism and lax enforcement of the district's harassment policy. So it sounds like there's um, a lot happening there. Um, The union statement says there was an investigation in 2022 into serious misconduct in the district, and they say it was ignored. And so now the union is saying basically they've lost any confidence in the district's ability to address uh, these concerns. And so now they're turning to their board of directors for help and asking them to address the problem instead. So what will you be watching for next? This came out at a meeting and, and how did the fire district or the fire district's board respond to these pretty strong allegations? They, they didn't really. They went into executive session right, right after um, the union president, Brady Graham, spoke. Um, and that was at their meeting on Tuesday. And then they basically adjourned right after executive session. They didn't say anything more. Um, Graham said the union has sent a letter to the district's legal counsel. And he said he's gathered um, a bunch of documents. He had a letter that he gave the board. He said he's gathered all of this over the course of a months-long investigation they've been doing into this uh, misbehavior. Um, but now we're basically just waiting to see what the board of directors will do. Uh, I did talk to the board president, Vicki Perslow, and she declined to be interviewed. She said she had no comment. Uh, I left a message for the fire chief, Charles Hanley. He did not respond. So it's really up to the board of directors now to see how they're going to respond to these concerns. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Sure. Um, Roman, turning to you now, you worked on a story, an in-depth story this week, looking at a new community court program that just launched in Medford. What's a community court Yeah. So a community court is, it's kind of an alternative way to clear sentences. Usually it's a way to clear um, minor sentences. So misdemeanors or like, you know, tickets that you'll get. uh, It's also known as homeless court sometimes in other places. There are these community courts all over the place. Um, So, you know, in your sentence basically might be different than a fine or jail time like you typically get for some of these things. So for example, a sentence for, you know, illegally camping somewhere could be to go find housing and, you know, maintain stable housing. And then the goal of that is to con- they'll connect people with service providers and help them get access to those resources. But obviously that works different in, you know, other places. So for example, another community court in Eugene that's been around for a while, their community court is only for misdemeanor crimes in the city's downtown area. Um, And another community court that I talked to in Oahu in Hawaii is specifically for the homeless, and they can help clear any cases on the island. And participants there take part in community service to clear their case and then also get connected with service providers. So it's kind of different where it is, but it's sort of a different way for people to clear their cases and kind of get themselves 
on a path to a better life. Okay. And so you, you did this story because this is a new program mm-hmm. here in Medford. Why was this community court started here? Yeah, so it was started by the municipal court judge here in Medford, Judge Virginia Greer. Um, the city did two of these last year's sort of like pilot programs, essentially. They were done at resource fairs that the city of Medford hosted where, you know, they had all the different city departments offering different resources on everything, police and fire and all that stuff. But they had this community court where essentially Judge Greer was just sitting in a parking lot in a camp chair hosting court there. Um, And it sounded like it was pretty successful. They helped 76 people over two of these events last year and sort of realized that, you know, this is a really good way to do this kind of court model. Um, It's really easy for the municipal court specifically to do this because they don't have to have all of this recording equipment like other courts do. They're not what's called a court of record. So Mm -hmm. they literally can just like bring a laptop to a parking lot and like hold court there essentially. Um, She found out that people were less intimidated about court. um, And so, you know, they want to kind of go do it out in the community and help people where they're at. She said that, you know, regular courts can be inaccessible sometimes. One example she gave was, you know, sometimes people have dogs that they need to bring with them. And sometimes dogs are not allowed in courtrooms. She allows dogs in her courtroom, but not everyone knows that. And so that can be a barrier for access, but there's a lot of other different barriers. So try to make it break down those barriers. Right. And this is municipal court as opposed to criminal court or civil court. So tickets and Well, it's, it is like a that. criminal and civil court, but it's municipal, meaning it's just for the city of Medford. So like ah, if the Medford okay. police cited you for something, it would go to municipal court. Okay, great. So, so why is community court important? Why not just go to regular court? Yeah, I mean, it's really important because a lot of these cases just don't end up getting resolved. Um, you know, people can't pay the fines or, you know, if they go to jail, they're not they're going to be more likely to recommit these crimes if they don't have those resources to break the cycle. A study in Eugene's found that about half as many people were getting arrested within one year of completing community court compared to going to regular court. So it kind of encourages people to make better choices. Um, you know, and a lot of it helps get rid of traffic tickets, especially in Medford. I found a lot of people were, you know, getting rid of those tickets and helping them get their licenses reinstated was really helpful to just get to work and have a method of transportation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So uh, this was a the beginning of a program. What does the future for this kind of court look like here? Yeah, uh, Judge Greer wants to kind of do this once a month. The next one's February 21st, I believe, and they're going to kind of, you know, reevaluate things as they go along and fix the issues as they come up. Um, I know one issue we've seen in other courts is just keeping in touch with these people. Um, you know, sometimes they change phone numbers and all that sort of thing. Um, if you want to hear more, Judge Greer is going to also be talking to the Jefferson Exchange again on February 19th. So you can hear from her again. Great. Thanks, Roman. That is going to do it for the debrief this week. Thanks for listening. You can reach the newsroom with comments about our coverage and suggestions for things that we should cover in the future through our news tip line. You can find that on our website at ijpr.org. 